representation is made that the quality of legal services to be performed is greater than the quality of legal services performed by other lawyers. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, I hope I may say comrades and friends, before your minds, I exempt myself from the speaker's kind offer of protection that was uh, so generously proffered at the opening of this evening. Anyone who wants to say anything abusive about or to me is quite free to do so, and welcome, in fact, at their own risk. <laughs> it's not just the right of the person who speaks to be heard. It is the right of everyone in the audience to listen and to hear. And every time you silence somebody, you make yourself a prisoner of your own action because you deny yourself the right to hear something. In other words, your own right to hear and be exposed is as much involved in all these cases as is the right of the other to voice his or her view. Indeed, as John Stuart Mill said, if all in society were agreed on the truth and beauty and value of one proposition, all except one person, it would be most important in fact, it would become even more important that that one heretic be heard because we would still benefit from his perhaps outrageous or appalling view. In more modern times, this has been put, I think, best by a personal heroine of mine, Rosa Luxemburg, who said that the freedom of speech is meaningless unless it means the freedom of the person who thinks differently. It's always worth establishing first principles. It's always worth saying, what would you do if you met a Flat Earth Society member? Come to think of it, how can I prove the Earth is round? Am I sure about the theory of evolution? I know it's supposed to be true. Here's someone who says there's no such thing. It's all intelligent design. How sure am I of, of my own views? Don't take refuge in the false security of consensus and the feeling that whatever you think, you're bound to be okay because you're in the safely moral majority. My own opinion is enough for me, and I claim the right to have it defended against any consensus, any majority, anywhere, any place, any time. And anyone who disagrees with this can pick a number, get online, and kiss my ass. <laughs> So what do you say, Rain? <laughs> I think the fun, is, the best part of that video is there at the very end. We're right next to it. The recommendations after viewing are Buddy Hackett, Matt Foley down by the river. Well, it is my YouTube page that we're looking at, right? <laughs> and Conan O'Brien furloughing his non-essential with Jordan. <laughs> You're going to be living in a van down by the river. That's a good one. Oh, man. So, <clears throat> on with the show, boys. Number 38. 37. 37. How the hell are y'all both off by an episode? So, podcast 37. Significantly older than you are. So let's, let's talk about what's going on down here. We're at 100% occupancy. Have you heard that, Paul? I'm hearing some people say 110%. I've heard that, too. And about, that's not going to be normally people come here for a three-day vacation. The, now what we're seeing because of this uh, situation is that 
they're going to be here maybe a week or more. So in, instead of just the three-day amount of people being here and stacking the beaches, you might have a, a very, very, very large crowd for as much as a week before it starts dissipating some. So how about uh, the revelation this week that the pres <clears throat> president is taking hydroxychloroquine? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> I can't understand. I can't understand it. I'm, I'm beyond it anymore. Uh, I, I just don't know what to say. You got scientists and doctors and everybody telling you these studies one right after the other. And he seems to go exactly the opposite way. So I don't, I don't know what to say about it anymore, to tell you the truth. But I'm going to listen to the scientists and the doctors. It's a, uh, it's a clear case of the this dumb shit that we've got as an chief executive of this country using his office to sell a product. That's all it is. It's a carnival barker, a goddamn snake oil huckster. Yeah, they ought to take, the, they ought, they ought to take yeah. the gin and tonic and rename it the emolument cocktail. It, it boosted it on the uh, boosted it on the uh, boosted it on the stock market there by about twenty percent almost right away. Spiked it and then it went up higher. So yeah, it's no big deal. Who cares? Make America great again. Yeah, awesome. <clears throat> so there are the numbers: five million one hundred and twenty-eight thousand four hundred and ninety-two cases worldwide right now. Wow. Uh, let's see if we can get over here to Alabama and show you that. Now, Alabama was on the Alabama was on the national news this morning on three to four channels, highlighting uh, the uh, COVID cases and what their predictions are. Go ahead, Harry. Well, you see here um, the state. 13,418 confirmed cases, uh, 177,000 tests. Now, here's the trick to that. Um, well, it's not going to let me select Bowen County. It's a jive turkey map. Here we go. So 270 cases with eight, with eight deaths and only 6,500 tests. There are 250,000 people in this county. And we've tested 6,500. That is shameful. That's absolutely yep. shameful. And it's not going to restore many people's confidence in what's going on. Well, what, what, what did we say from the get-go? Don't worry. You have to test. There's no way to do this without testing. And tracking. <laughs> you, can, you can forget about that. Yeah. There, there's not going to be... That's never... Uh, Governor Ivy City is all, Governor Ivy's all for the uh, uh, cell phone tracking system, you know. Well, Paul, all, all I can I tell you is here, Governor Ivy, give a position on that. All I can tell you is we are ignoring all of the guidelines that we were given. None of this it is, is germane anymore. And we went from 242 cases March 24th in Baldwin County 
to what thirteen thousand? Is that what we said? So let's talk a little bit yep. about a little bit more about SARS Cove two. Go for it, Ranks. One thing I wanted to add before we jumped onto this was that uh, the announcement came from the city of Montgomery, the seat of your state government, that there are no more ICU beds available in the city of Montgomery. They've seen a spike in cases. There's one. There's one. Oh, I'm sorry. Not anymore. Yeah. Stay up to date. Not it's, uh, it's full. And there's been a spike in cases in Montgomery because the state has not been following federal guidelines for it. And I hate to say this because you hear a lot of things on this program first, and I'm kind of proud of that. But at the at the risk of being sending a common scold, I'll just say you hear it here first as well. All those people down on the beach right now, there's a lot of them going to get sick. And the reason they're going to get sick is because the state opened the beaches, period. They wouldn't have been there. If it hadn't been for the state allowing it to go and if it hadn't been for the city allowing it to go and it hadn't been for the county allowing it to go, a failure of leadership is going to lead to sickness and death among those people. And I'm almost to the point where I'm just ready to wash my hands of it. If they want to go, go. You want to get sick, get sick. I am going to literally drink my coffee made with your tears when it's all over with. Well, we're going to know in about 14 days exactly what the result is of this next coming uh, week in the packed beaches because it's going to be obvious. And the thing that people need to understand is the beachgoers are from multiple, multiple states and all over Alabama. So they're leaving here and going back to all of those places. And, you know, we might see a spike here but there might be a spike in Huntsville because of something that originated from here on the beach. So That's uh, we'll, That's just, we'll just have to look and see what happens. Uh, but uh, let me add one thing. Uh, I heard on national news that seven to 12 percent of the people in the United States do not believe in wearing the mask or wear the mask. Now, I would say in Baldwin County, that would be at least four times that amount. 30 to 40 percent. And that is also going to be another contributing factor for this uh, uh, getting spread around. So I don't know. We're going to have to really sit tight for the next two weeks and see what happens. I, I hope to God that statistics and everything are wrong, but we're right on the brink of 100,000. So are y'all ready to move on to uh, what SARS-CoV-2 SARS infection does to your body? Sure. And, and so I don't want anybody to get hung up on the technical terms. I like this because it's got pictures in it. And everybody understands what pictures are, right? So at the top, we have the virus, and there are many ways that it affects you. One way is a cytokine storm, which means basically an allergic reaction. Uh, then you have pneumonia Correct. and then you have hypercoagulability. Um, so your blood turning to K-Row syrup in your veins would obviously affect your heart and it would more importantly affect your kidneys. Every single one of these symptoms, if you look at SARS at the top and what's at the bottom, every single 
one of these different ways that it presents in the body causes acute kidney injury. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to stop this right now and I want to share another video and, um, you guys watch this with me. I've been a kidney doctor since 1975, so I've been in this business a long time. I've never seen anything like this. We knew early on that there was a, a problem with the kidneys from the infection. But the real surprise was that when the pandemic hit in the United States, we found that between 20 and 40 percent of patients who were in intensive care units with this infection, the kidneys failed. People have severe renal failure to the point of needing dialysis, and not even just dialysis, but a special kind of dialysis that can only be done in an intensive care unit uh, because patients are too unstable to tolerate the fluid shift of regular dialysis. I think that when people hear dialysis, first, I mean, what people usually think of are dialysis centers that are in the community where patients go three times a week usually to have their blood cleaned by dialysis machines. This is different. So that would be called chronic kidney disease or chronic kidney failure. This is acute. So this happens when people are very sick. The difference between the two is that in acute kidney injury, often the kidneys do recover function once the uh, infection uh, is gone. For COVID-19, what we're learning is that some patients who survive the illness, their kidney functions can get better. But there are other patients who, even though they survive the infection, still have kidney failure and still require dialysis. So the well, you heard it here first, boys and girls. <clears throat> Have you well, heard anything about kidney failure before, Paul Rip? No. And, uh, and you only got one kidney, right? I lost one kidney to Agent Orange. So I only got one. The one thing I was told was don't get bit by a snake. It looks like the virus could be as bad as a snake. Actually, yeah. it, uh, I, the, the, the problems presented because of uh, kidney damage and kidney failure, uh, that's actually been that knowledge has actually been around for a little bit um, because because uh, SARS-CoV-2 is basically an inflammatory disease. Any inflammatory disease is going to affect the kidneys the most. And there were some pieces published about uh, the problems about dialysis and dialysis equipment actually two months ago. But they weren't published on a big time scale because they were kind of drowned out by the need for medical procurement when it came to uh, personal protective gear. Uh, so uh, we can't say you heard it here first because it has been out a little bit, but we can definitely reinforce it and that people that need dialysis have been identified as a major vulnerability group. And I would say that most of them have been informed of that. However, one of the biggest problems you run to with in dialysis is transport. Um, I'm, I'm studying right now in, in college to become a, a paramedic. And one of the things that an ambulance service does to a 
I mean, a great deal of their business is patient transport. And a lot of it is dialysis transport. And um, if you're under certain protocols for transport, if the transportation company is under certain protocols for transport, uh, it makes it more difficult for people to get to dialysis because they have to have PP2. They won't let you on the truck without it, especially if it's just a non-911 patient transport. So there's many ameliorating circumstances that make dialysis patients and people suffering from kidney damage and disease at a much higher risk for contracting this virus. But I'll callously say nobody gives a shit because everybody wants to go to Applebee's. So I'll disagree with that. But uh, okay, so let's talk about some other things that happen here. Um, Kawasaki disease. And Kawasaki yes. disease is defined as an illness that causes inflammation, swelling, and redness in blood vessels throughout the body. It happens in three phases, and, and uh, a lasting fever is usually the first sign. The condition is most often affects uh, children younger than five years old. Correct. So and to be clear, COVID-19 bullshit. COVID-19 does not cause does not cause Kawasaki disease. It can lead to Kawasaki disease appearing. COVID-19 does not cause Kawasaki disease. I don't want to spread misinformation in that way. But it does, however, disable your body to a degree that makes you extremely acceptable. I'm talking about children. Make them extremely susceptible to Kawasaki disease, which was at one time not exactly rare, but fairly rare. And it's it's one of those things where, you know, nobody dies from HIV AIDS. They die from pneumonia because HIV AIDS doesn't cause pneumonia. It beats your body down to where pneumonia can kill you. That's the same thing with Kawasaki disease and COVID-19. That's the association. All right, so let's uh, let's talk about anecdotal evidence. And um, Reigns and I already know we disagree on this. Um, I cannot, for the life of me, figure out why everyone is discounting the geography here. The Virology Institute in Wuhan, China, is across the damn Yangtze River from where they say this wet market. Was, was the original uh, place where this thing made vector <laughs> jump from a bat to a, a pangolin to a human being. Right, so, right. Uh, Reigns, why don't you run us through your your side of the story, and then I'll I'll counter that position. All right, I, I I'm not going to use the term many moons ago because it was literally only a month or so ago when. Virologists and epidemiologists studied the SARS COVID-19. They found that the capsid, which is the, the protein shell that encloses the, the nucleus of a virus, presented itself in such a way that shows it was a nature created virus. All right. It has to do with the proteins that make up the shell. All right. Proteins that make up the shell of a naturally occurring virus present in a lab setting present extremely differently, diametrically opposite from a from a virus that is created in a laboratory or grown in a laboratory. There are certain parameters in place to identify the two. 
not just the CDC, but independent scientists from around the world analyzed this virus when it became prevalent and have declared and published peer-reviewed research that because the capsid and the envelope of the virus itself present in such a way, it shows that it was a naturally occurring virus that was not cultured in a laboratory. Because that was my first thought, was that this was, I put on my full hat and said, my first thought was that this was a weaponized virus that the Chinese unleashed on the Hong Kong protesters and it got out of control. And I quickly realized that through looking at science and research that that was not the case. Harry? So do you understand the difference in a hypothesis, a theory, and an axiom? Oh, geez, Harry, no. Could you explain to me what those three things no, are? They're very different. And what you have is a hypothesis range. It's been peer-reviewed, but it's not an axiom. And it's, it, 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 Speaking from a scientific perspective, it's not a theory. It is a it is a hypothesis that is yet to be proved. It's it's very compelling, um, but I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. When you're dealing with a live virus, any living cell, any living cell is a laboratory. The idea of this basing is it, it is monumentally dangerous and ignorant. You are basing you are basing your theory okay. on proximity. Now, I got an uncle way back in the woods, and he lived across the street from a strip club. And when he was married, all of a sudden his wife caught herpes. And she said, <laughs> you went over that strip club and got herpes and brought it home. He said, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. They ended up getting divorced. Well, guess what? Joke's on her. He didn't get it from the strip club. He got it fucking a whore down in Fushan, Louisiana. So the proximity theory is not necessarily a basis of fact. You have to go with the science. Okay. I have to agree with Reigns, but I'm agreeing on a different basis because I had seen a, I think it was on BBC, I'm not sure, but I'd seen an interview with doctors that had done research in that lab. And they had, uh, they monitored, this was before it was all discontinued. They monitored the lab and they spoke extremely highly about the uh, lab conditions and everything and said that there was a distinctive difference between the type of work that they were doing than the live gene, again, going to that, uh, the live transmission and everything. And that, Paul, that Paul, is this the same dickheads that told us there were WMDs in Iraq? Well, I look, mean, just how much of this are you going to know? This is, uh, this is, this is doctors and scientists that have worked in this facility. It, and, it, uh, it you know, my, my, my position is this, Harry. Uh, none of, all of us are, if you will, speculating. Because we're not going to know for a couple of years or whatever, uh, if we do for whatever, saying, find out exactly what the damn truth is. All right. So you I'm going to share one more thing with y'all. This is going to take a minute, but it's well worth your time. What's the news? We're fucked. Is it a virus? Yeah. How does it spread? Is it airborne? We don't know. What did he just say? He said there's a storm coming. In. Something in the mess. Look, John Lee. Everybody just relax. It's death out there. It's the end of the world. All 
Where in the world did you get that? I, that's hilarious, dude. That was awesome. Well, it, I hate that song, and I thought that was an awesome video. Well, it's almost as informative as watching the White House press briefing. That's what I'm getting at. Truly, I've seen every movie in there. I can name every movie that was in there, and I absolutely love that mashup. That was hysterical. Uh, oh, my God. Not bad at all. A pretty good find. All right, Paul. It's time for the RIP Report, brother. Uh, I hate the RIP Report, as most of you know already, but I'll repeat. It is uh, for not-for-profit, and uh, we advocate for quite a few people. One of the people that we have been uh, following and advocating for has been the McSherry case to mention one. But before we get on that, let me uh, just remind everybody that July 14th, 
will be the runoff in the congressional race between Carl and Hightower. Hightower being the catalyst candidate. So uh, don't forget July 14th, you, you can still get absentee ballots if you're concerned with getting in line. So uh, go ahead and get the ballots, if you will, and give Jerry, put, let's put Jerry Carl in, in uh, Congress. We can't afford to have catalysts up there, I'll tell you. Uh, we'll go to the uh, RIP report uh, is coming off of the a series of articles that have been written. You can go to ripreport.com and go to the RIP report on Facebook or Baldwin County Legal Eagle. And lately, due to the news, there's been articles called Catalyst Baggage, Catalyst Players, Catalyst Justice. And today we'll be writing one Freaky Friday, which will be Catalyst Stink. Uh, but uh, Stench. Can I, can I suggest stench as opposed to stink? Stench? Yeah, I can do stench. Stench sounds worse, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, the latest on the McSherry case is just uh, bewildering, to say the least. The RIP report bounces off of the Lanyap report, but the one thing you can get from the RIP report is if you re when you read the RIP report, we include links that takes you back to the history of the same story that we're talking about. So when we're talking about the McSherry case and you read the RIP report, you'll see links that'll take you to that so you can have information from the beginning of the case to where we are now. Uh, and it's getting pretty pretty outlandish. Uh, Lanyap, as well as the RIP report, uh, reported last week about the uh, McSherry case. In the McSherry case, there was a charging document uh, between the municipal attorney and the municipal judge in the charging document on uh, the McSherry issue said that uh, it did not list that physical harm had happened during the assault. And that small technicality threw out the uh, assault charge. Then the next thing, which aggravated everyone because this is a, uh, this is a mistake that is not supposed to be made by municipal attorneys or judges. And uh, Mr. McDowell, the city attorney for Fairhope, is also the uh, municipal judge in Baymanette, I believe, isn't it, Harry? He is, in fact. Right. So, I mean, he's not, he's acting in the capacity of a judge as well. But now the newest thing in the case, that, that really, uh, on the RIP report, excited a lot of people, and we got a lot of feedback on that. And then um, this week, it's changing even more because what Mr. McDowell said that he was going to do was reapply or go to the Supreme Court, even though it was late, and refile. And let's see. Let me pick it up from there. Uh, this incident happened November 22nd of 2018, and this is a, an assault charge. So think at, at uh, the owner of McSherry's Irish Pub. Uh, let's see. McSherry, when arrested, slurred his speech, uh, smelled a strong odor of alcohol, could hardly walk, and according to officers, they had to take him to the car. Remember, all this is on videotape, okay? Uh, and Mr. Uh, he was 
on both counts, McSherry was found guilty and imposed a sentence of 180 days. Uh, but then McSherry appealed, as Lanyap reported last month, the assault charge was dismissed uh, by Judge Stankowski. That's what I was talking about. Uh, then the next thing that happened was um, on April 17th, two days after Lanyap published a report about the assault charge being dropped, McDowell filed an appeal to the Alabama Supreme Court. But on April 22nd, the court notified McDowell that he had failed to file a required docking statement uh, pursuant to Alabama rules of appellate procedure. And that was Justice Mary Wyndham. Uh, uh, that appeal was not filed within the statutory 14-day period. Still, uh, the judge then allowed McDowell 14 more days to show cause as to why the appeal should not be dismissed. But according to the court record, it appears he never responded. So on May 7th, uh, Wyndham formally dismissed the appeal on the, on the untimely file. So the assault charge just disappeared. Okay, this is kind of, if this reminds you a little bit of like, you know, Trip Pittman and the 750,000 with BP or Chris Elliott and the DUI, Mayor Kent and the FEMA funds, Robert Brown and the Art Center, all right, Jack Burrell and his bid rigging. No one does anything. However, McDowell also said now in response to the newspaper, uh, Lanyap, everything that went on that night, including the assault, would be presented at McSherry's public intoxication appeal trial whenever trials are allowed to resume. That case is going to trigger whatever the judge decides to do on the, on the probation, revocation, and the possible sentencing range in the exact same as if he had multiple charges out there. So we're plowing forward on it. So, ladies and gentlemen, what you are being asked to believe is that the assault charge that had physical injuries, this girl's woman has $6,500 to $10,000 worth of medical bills that have never been addressed. And so now that we're being asked to forget all about the assault, forget about the physical injury, all of the mistakes that are made, we're going to press charges against the intoxication and the assault, and that isn't that much relative to the case. This is the epitome of what is wrong in this county. This is exactly what is wrong. The, <laughs> Denardi was quoted as saying, the problem here is that people are not abiding by the law and doing the lawful thing or doing the moral or ethical thing. They're not doing right by others. And that's what makes her sad. That is exactly what's going on exactly what's going on oh, i really can't comment on this other than to say uh, th cases like these are the reason that i'm doing this podcast i don't know what you, i don't know what you guys are doing here but a case like this is why i'm here that's exactly why i'm here this is exactly why i'm here now i have been an advocate for uh paula donardi since 2018 and uh, Mr. Still, for a period of time, was uh, her attorney. So we're not talking, I'm not talking off the cuff here. I'm reading what is going on. 
Now, if Fairhope tolerates this, this, this is what I call the most in-your-face catalyst move there is. So, Paul, here's the funny thing. We've been talking, the funny thing is we've been talking about this since we got started. They knew eyes were on this. The right. lineup has written about it extensively. Right. And even and, Al and got off their ass and wrote an article about it at some point. Right. So you have to ask yourself, why are they trying to bury the assault charge and the physical injury? And why don't you tell us what you dug up, Reigns? Go for it, Reigns. I love well, it. <coughs> According to the Alabama Beverage Commission, uh, they have a uh, mitigation and decertification board. If you are convicted of or arrested for enough charges to present a case where you no longer deserve to hold a liquor license on moral grounds, they can pull it. And the appellate body for that is the actual alcohol beverage control board. They, uh, they, the, the mitigation and decertification committee is a subcommittee of that. Uh, Mr. McSherry, Ron McSherry may be facing the loss of his liquor license if he's convicted for another assault. Uh, this could very well be why he has manipulated whoever it is. These people in either the prosecutor's office or gotten in some judge's back pocket. And Harry, you don't have to speak to that, but I'll go ahead and put it out there. That uh, he doesn't want to lose the liquor license on that bar or any of his other establishments. And that's a big deal with somebody that holds a liquor license. And if I was a concerned citizen, concerned with the morality and ethics and moral turpitude of the, my fellow Christians in Southern Alabama, I do believe I'd write a letter to the ABC board and ask, hey, has anybody taken a look at Ronan McJerry's liquor license in the past a little bit? Just a thought. Right. Well, no, that's, that is all of it. And plus, in the city council... Uh, if the, if you want a liquor license for, let's say, a street venue or something like that, uh, or you're applying for a liquor license for a bar, restaurant, or whatever, that, that final approval is with the city council, okay? And the city council will, every time the city council will say, uh, police chief, do we have any problem with this individual? Or can we uh, go ahead or what? I've never heard him deny one, and I've never heard him discipline anyone for bad behavior. Uh, Mr. McSherry, Mr. McSherry is what you would classify as a public nuisance. So, Paul, let me let me stop you here for a second. There are a lot of municipalities and counties that take every single liquor license extremely seriously. I. I so I was the city planner for the city of Alabaster, which is about which is larger than any municipality here in Baldwin County, by two times um, for seven years. How many liquor licenses do you think I processed? God knows. Over at least a hundred, and um, we took it very seriously. And we, I had meetings yeah. with the police department, the fire department. We talked about ingress, egress all kinds of things, uh, and certainly the applicant. And, and uh, you know, asked the, the people in the neighborhood, gave them notice, gave them an opportunity to come and speak to that liquor license. Um, you know, there, there are some statutory requirements, but I'm saying we went above and beyond 
because we knew that it was going to change the flavor of that area in town, having a bar there. Yeah. I didn't yeah. mean to interrupt your thought. I just wanted to let you know that there are places that take it extremely seriously. Fairhope just doesn't seem to be one of them. You know, if you're you, you go have a BS session with the right politician, and it ain't no problem. Well, the um, uh, it would be different too if this was an isolated incident. But every single incident that Mr. McSherry has been involved in has to do with alcohol, and he himself has been told to stay away from being intoxicated and he's running a bar. Then he breaks his probation and nobody does anything. And now, you know, you ask yourself, how the hell did we get here? I'll tell you how we got here. We got here because of Lanyap, Backstory Podcast, and The Rip Report, because we kept writing about it and kept writing about it, boxed them into a corner, and then they had to do one stupid thing after another to try to get out of it and now they're all the way like jammed up on this thing with the uh, assault charge and that's what they're trying to do now here's another thing and you can call this insinuating if you want but Mr. McSherry also has a track record of using money to get himself out of trouble so who the hell got paid what what is going on here this defies exactly. logic if it was any one of us on this podcast or any one of you listening to this podcast and this happened to you, I can assure you, we wouldn't walk over Your and over and over would have been again. gone within days of you being arrested. Absolutely. And this man has yeah. a green card. He's not even an American citizen. So tell me the name of the... Okay, you got my blood, you got my blood pressure up now, so... We got Alabama we go board mitigation and decertification committee and being convicted of assault is one of the reasons they would decertify you. And that's correct. So mystery that's explained a on why it was so important to have that charge dropped. Um, so Paul, now that I got your blood worked up, uh, your blood up. Let me see if I can find this other uh, this other slide I wanted you to walk us through. There we go. Ah. So while while our chief law enforcement oh. offer, officer in the state is, uh, I think I could, I, I, by all accounts, he he's in, he is not in his office. Uh, where he's easily accessible, um, doesn't seem to give a tinker's damn about corruption in Fairhope, but he has, uh, he and the Alabama Department of Environmental Management have filed a lawsuit against the city of Fairhope um, for the Alabama, uh, basically our uh, version of the Alabama Water Pollution Control Act which is our version of the Clean Water Act. So, Paul, won't you uh, tell me what you know about it? Well, uh, like you said, Attorney Ger uh, Steve Marshall is the one who filed the sit uh, suit against the city Friday, alleging it violated several permit requirements and the reporting of discharged pollutants from its wastewater 
uh, treatment plant for a five-year period between April 15 and April 20. Uh, the case been, has been assigned to Baldwin County Circuit Judge Joseph Norton, uh, who is a resident and a fair, of Fairhope and a customer of Fairhope Utilities. I would think that would be a little bit of a conflict of interest there, maybe in favor of Fairhope, but still it's a conflict of interest. Uh, the mayor, uh, Karen Wilson, uh, and I know this for a fact, baby, I've been to these meetings and I watch these guys and I can't believe it, but the mayor, uh, who's been a vocal supporter of the sewer rehabilitation since the day she was elected. That was her platform. As previously said, the problem lies not with the wastewater treatment plant, but with the outdated and overcapacity over collection and transmission city in the sewer that has experienced a 44% increase in population between 2010 and 2018. Now, years ago, they put $10 million into the sewer plant. That $10 million grew to $13 million. However, the problem was they didn't do one thing to one foot of pipe that was going to it. So all the lines were not able to get down to the sewer tank. So that this is what we've been talking about. The city's in the midst now of sewer rehabilitation and planning projects partially funded by at least $11 million. That was from the Restore Act funds. And those Restore Act funds don't come by just sending in a letter. You got to go to meeting after meeting and the, the mayor and the staff stayed on that to get that 11 million. So uh, 10 of it, 10 million is going into the increased capacity of the transmission system and a million into the Eastern Shore Sanitary Sewer Overflow Prevention thing. Now, this is all a matter of record, and you can go and read this. Wilson said in 2019 that city council funded a portion of the sewer rehabilitation plant that she initially proposed two years earlier, but they continued to block efforts to hire engineers and professionals uh, dedicated to sewer improvements. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, folks, what's happening here. This is all politics. The council did not want the, it to look as if the mayor was accomplishing anything. For their own selfish and political reasons, they decided, well, they're not going to allow her to go forward with some of this sewer stuff until she just persevered out of sure staying on it, you know? So, Paul, now, let's talk about one this. One more thing. One more thing. The mayor went on to say, we've been trying to get an engineering and technical department funded by the council has absolutely refused to do it. They are totally adamant against hiring. But if we hire engineers now, that will totally help our case. I don't know that we've had this with this lawsuit uh, if the positions have been funded in the beginning, but it's one thing where we could be up shit creek, no pun intended, if we weren't already doing what we've been doing and she's right about that nothing was done on the sewer or the infrastructure of the sewer until this mayor was elected all right so i'm going to interrupt you paul last week that they had a special call no week before last they had a special call meeting right because they had a water line failure and they asked people to quit watering their grass so 
Tell me, what was Mayor Tim Kent's position before he became mayor? Didn't wasn't he an employee? He was utility director. He was the public works director, and he got nine uh, sixty sixty thousand a year for that, and thirty thousand a year. He was drawing two checks as being mayor. So instead of investing in his infrastructure, he invested in a bunch of pretty flowers. I'll say well. I'll say it. Well, here's the, here's the other thing, Harry, that at the time there were several people, including myself, they were going to put the 10 million in the, uh, in the sewer plant. And uh, I think I misprinted it and said 50, but if I remember right, it was like about 22 million or something like that to move the sewer plant from there or an extension thereof out of the bay. And the council and mayor can't at the time said, no, 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 we're just going to do the sewer plant. We're going to improve it to where uh, it can, it's going to be the best, most award-winning sewer plant you've ever seen. Well, I mean, my God, that's like a heart transplant without any arms or legs. Exactly. All right. So I want to move on to something else with Steve Marshall. You good with that? Well, yeah, let me inject one more thing. <laughs> you said that. Okay, folks, folks, listen. This is a lawsuit by the Steve Marshall, the Attorney General, about the sewer violations. We've been writing him for two years about the, the political corruption, giving them facts, giving them data. We've been sending them the information about what's going on down here about the McSherry case. Okay, about Mr. Brown and his inside contracts that he he had. All of this has gone to the not only the attorney general, but also to A. Clark Morris in his department, who is the white collar crime division. She's got it. And then the FBI investigators that are working for them, they got it. So what I'm going to do this week is I'm going to go get me some extra lanyards. I'm going to cut out this article about Mr. McDowell, I'm going to print him a copy of the Catalyst Justice, and I'm going to send every one of them another letter. And here's another thing. I am a citizen of this community. I am one of, as far as I know, the only consumer association in this state that is not for profit. Do you think one damn person from the attorney general to the district attorney sent one letter back? answering anything, nothing, nothing. That's why the corruption is so bad. And that's why these judges, lawyers, political appointees and voted to office. That's why they're so carefree with corruption. Nobody gets, there is no uh, accountability, no accountability. Okay. So there's a, there's a lawsuit ongoing. Um, some journalists have, have asked for some documents that the attorney general has related to the prosecution of a state representative and attorney at Bosch and Bingham law firm. And he was actually the managing partner when all this happened. And one of the officials at Drummond Cole. So rain, right. rain still here. No? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You're still here. Are you familiar with this at all? There was a, so Drummond, no. so that so the EPA was looking to to uh, 
they had identified the site and they were going to declare it a Brownsfield or a Superfund site, which means millions of federal dollars were going to come to downtown Birmingham to help remediate this site right. that was polluted. So, alleged, well, not allegedly, how they've been convicted of it. So, uh, the attorney at Bosch and Bingham uh, went and hired a. So, the one thing that a an elected official to the legislature can't do is lobby for any particular. Now they can, you know, if it's something in their district, they can certainly have an opinion, but he was going around telling people that it was going to be a bad thing for the neighborhood. And of course they're, they're the names that we're not saying you can read. Right. So um, he's refused to turn this information over. All they want is the information uh, any communications between Bosch and Bingham and the officials at Trump and he's yeah. refused to hand it over. I mean, how was that transparent? Who's, who's, who's interest Ask the white house serve? Whose interest does it serve reigns? He's my, probably busy. He's probably busy with that sewer lawsuit. <laughs> well, he could, he, he could spend, a month of Sundays in Fairhope, right? Absolutely. All right. So y'all want to move on to the CARES Act and what what all's going on? So the Alabama legislature had their last legislative day on Monday. They approved the governor's CARE Act plan to spend the one point eight billion we got from the feds. Um, just some other things on here. I'm still not certain if. The uh, law enforcement was added to the Alabama hate crime statute. Are you? Do you know, Paul? No, I don't. I haven't. I haven't. I can't give you a definitive answer on that either. But we do know that the historic districts, the two historic districts down here, are going to be on the ballot in November. Um, here, I'm just going to rattle this off real quick. Three hundred million to reimburse the state agencies for expenditures directly related to the pandemic. This is how the CARES Act are going to be disperse $250 million to reimburse local governments for expenditures directly related to the pandemic, $200 million to, to support delivery of healthcare and related services to citizens because of the pandemic, 300 million to support citizens, business and nonprofit and faith-based organizations. We've got to make sure we keep them in there. Um, 53 million for reimbursement of equipment and infrastructure necessary for remote work and public access so right here, I see them spending a whole lot of money on broadband. Um, up to three hundred million for expenses related to technology and infrastructure for remote instruction. There we go. Up to two hundred million for reimbursement of costs necessary to address the pandemic by the Department of Corrections. Up to ten million for reimbursement and necessary costs to ensure access to the courts, which we've already talked about. Um, $5 million to reimburse the state general fund for supplemental appropriations to the Alabama Department of Health and up to $118 million for other lawful purposes approved by the federal government. That $118 million right there, boys and girls, that's what you need to keep your eyes on. That's what's going to end up in oil boom and other poppycock. That's exactly right. That's exactly and, uh, right. That's going to end up. Yep. Yeah, and uh, also... Uh, Let's give credit where credit's due to the governor. What do you not see on that list? 
That's right. You don't see a damn state house for $200 million, do you? $200 million our legislators were going to skim off the top. That's exactly what happened with our BP money. They just, they're, that's thievery. But thank God the uh, governor put her foot down and uh, that went to the wayside. Plus, I think those guys need to be cramped up in small buildings. That makes me feel good. <laughs> so, yes. so Paul, the number one two-face in this whole thing, Lieutenant Governor Will Ainsworth, he came out swinging, and I was all behind him. And he said, we have got to shut this thing down now. I guess the business council got to him because he's the – he, he went from the biggest proponent of the shutdown to the biggest proponent of reopening the damned gating criteria or anything else. You know, one of the things, Harry, when we started covering this, Harry, one of the things that we came across, I mean, all of us talked about was that all of these models uh, went back and said that Alabama, and I, I'm pretty sure it was Kentucky were the two states that were like five or six weeks behind everyone else. So what happened was by the time we got to the end of April, everybody around here was going stir crazy and saying, hey, ain't nothing happening, nothing's happening. But actually, it was the, that's when it started. So now we're at the end of that five or six weeks that they said that we were ahead, and now we're beginning to see the effect. So, uh, so I got my pointer. I'm not Norman Schwarzkopf, but I'm about to walk y'all through something. Okay. All right. So you hang on, Harry. Hey, hang on, hang on, guys. Hang on, guys. I hate to do it, but I got to bow out early. My son's got a Zoom meeting that he's already five minutes late for. So I've got to jump off. It's been a great podcast with you guys. Don't forget about give me a plug for the Friday night fiasco tonight, and we'll see y'all next week. What time? Okay. Take care, Range. Ten o'clock. All right. Tonight. So, Paul. Tonight, Paul, take take your man. <laughs> so, Paul. Yeah. This bottom line right here represents from 322 to 516. That's 55 days. Baldwin County went from zero to right at 280 cases. Pull, pull your camera down a little bit. I can't. It's too oh, far. Okay. All right. So, that's... That's this axis. This axis is the number of cases, right? Right. And you see how we're going up like this? Right. So let's just extrapolate out 55 more days. So what do you think that figure is going to be? I don't think it stays. I don't, this is with social distancing and, and right. lockdown. So right. what I see is a trajectory going up like this. I don't imagine it's going to continue a steady rise like we're seeing now. Do you agree? I agree, but I hope I, I, I'm just really, uh, I don't really don't know what's going to happen here in the next two weeks, because like I said, we were behind the wheel and now at the wheels catching up with us and I see it getting worse rather than better. And I think opening up earlier, I, I sure pray I'm wrong, but might have been a real mistake. And if we have to shut down the second time, that's going to really hurt. All right. So, Paul, I think there are two teams at play here. There's the Backstory Podcast team where we rely on science and the scientific method. And then we got the MAGA team that relies on Trump, 
Fauci's ghost, Rush Limbaugh, who's the recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom for some reason. Um, there's a $1.2 billion no-bid contract that's been awarded to AstraZeneca. They're the ones that say they're going to have a, you know, what the hell would you say to somebody if they gave you $1.2 billion and uh, they're saying we want a vaccine as soon as possible? What do you think they're going to say? Oh, it looks very promising and we're going to have trials in August. If you give me if you give me one point two billion dollars, I will design you a plane that can fly around the earth on a gallon of gas. But you got to pay me cash first. Right. So so then on this same team, we got Huey Mack. Don't forget about the sheriff. You had to sue him. He said he won't go enforce the order regardless. Right. right. Let's listen to the sheriff, not the science column. Let's get over there on that sheriff column. So so the business council of Alabama's on this side too. Two Face Will Ain Lieutenant Governor Will Ainsworth, um, the tax man Elliot, you know, and basically everybody with a R slash Alabama behind their name. Do you agree? I mean, do you can you think of any Republican besides Governor Ivy who's who who is voiced an opinion on this? No, Governor Ivy has taken the lead on it. I gotta give her credit. So we got to go back a few podcasts ago. Do you remember when I talked to you about preference falsification? Correct. Under extreme social pressure, people will say things that they know not to be true. And I think that's exactly what's happening over here. So guess who jo just joined our team and is going to save more lives in this state than a vaccine? Who? Nick Saban. Oh, yeah, yeah. You yeah. did a pit. Now, these dipshits around here, they're not going to listen to science. They're not going to listen to Paul Rip. They're not going to listen to the governor. They ain't going to listen to the sheriff. They'll listen to Nick Saban. Absolutely. His PSA will save more lives. I'm, and you got to understand, I went to the A Day game, the first game he ever coached at Alabama. And I saw the lunacy that was to come, and he is a cult figure here, and I cannot thank him enough for doing that. That was extremely brave, um, knowing the way which way the wind was blowing politically on it, and he's just one of those people that's above politics. Right. I was Why? very, I was very glad I was to see that. To. Yeah, I was very glad to see that. I hope they use that in a commercial. And I want to share this. I just want to show everybody this page real quick so you can go look him up yourself. Timor Koran, professor at Duke University. He, he teaches uh, in economics, political development, Middle East, and Islam. And the name of his book is Private Truths, Public Lies. Everybody should, or anybody who's interested, should go check that out. Smart guy. I'd never considered preference falsification before. Never thought of it as a concept like that. All right, Paul. The turkey takedown. So after your lawsuit two weeks ago, uh, the following Monday, Yellowhammer News came out with a list of the 10 most influential local government officials in Alabama. Mack, right. Sheriff of Baldwin County, 
is a must-have relationship for current and aspiring state elected officials. This speaks to his political strength and influence in Baldwin County and, and to the respect he commands on law enforcement issues. Serving his fourth term in office. Fourth term. Mac Our fourth term. He's worked for the Ball County Sheriff's Department in various capacities since 1989. He's the past president of Alabama Sheriff's Association and the director of the National Sheriff's Association. He's been a voice for national initiatives such as Blue Lightning Task Force, which aims to stop human, human trafficking. Well over 6 million visitors trek through the 2,027 square miles that make up Mac's jurisdiction, endowing him with tremendous responsibility, which he has proven highly capable. Okay, so you want to comment? I want to. I want to know what you think about Hoss Mac. <laughs> I mean, here's what I think: the people I think he who write for the who write for the Republican Party say he's the fourth most influential. Elect local government elected official behind Tommy Battle. Well, um, let's see, Tommy Battle was one, Stinson was two. I can't remember who was three, but Mac was. Well, I certainly don't uh, disagree with the power, political power that the sheriff has. However, uh, he served four terms as sheriff, and two of those terms were very questionable because Senator Tripp Pittman, you know, boom, boom, Pittman, he's the one that made the, came up with legislative qualifications uh, two terms ago that basically eliminated anyone from running from the show against the sheriff. So, so you know, Paul, it's real easy. Let me walk you through yeah. that quick. Um, I, I'm just talking, I'm, I'm, I'm not interested in being the sheriff, but can you imagine a scenario where a guy like me who is who has managed county governments uh, millions and millions of dollars, hundreds and hundreds of employees, I have a law degree, I've been licensed to practice for a dozen years, and I don't qualify to run for sheriff in this county. That's a damn That's joke. meant to be. That's a joke. Yep, that's meant to be. And also, also there are uh, four officer-related incidents that involve uh, deaths of citizens. And if I'm not wrong, I believe three of those are going to are are major lawsuits. And we hear nothing, get no information, nothing comes. You've heard all that, before, right? It's an ongoing investigation, and we can't comment. Or there's a lawsuit, right. and comment. Or the major yeah. crimes unit is investigating. That's the biggest joke. Well, the uh, yeah, it is. It what really they left out of here was he's the only sheriff that gets to investigate his own malfeasances in his office. That's what's not I in the. That, that, folks, is not transparency or accountability, either one. But so, I do agree. I think that the sheriff has way, way, way too much power, and I think for the health of the county uh, and the community uh, that we should exercise some term limits on the sheriff the next time and find someone else within the ranks. Let's, let's talk about uh, 
the conversation that we would have with the attorney general on all of these projects that I have on the screen. Do you see, do you see where I am? Correct. So let's start with the mega site, the Catawba property down here, completely unnecessary purchase, $6.2 million. The coal ash pond. What third grade science teacher doesn't know that leaving that poison on the side of the river is a terrible idea. Not just here. You know, we've talked, uh, what, what city was that up in, uh, Shelby County where we, I, I did that interview with the mayor. Do you remember? Dad gum and I, uh, but every, along every uh, river in Alabama where there's a coal plant, there's a big pile of ash. And well, you see what happened up in uh, Michigan with those two dams. Well, okay. So the dams fail. How many dams do you think are up river? of Barry steam plant. Just a wild ass. That'd be interesting. Yeah. So what happens if uh Claiborne lock and dam fails? Anybody ever run that scenario through? I doubt it. Probably not. But yeah, so they had two dam failures and guess who is located in that little sleepy town in Michigan? Dow chemicals. And so the EPA allowed Dow to have these for lack of a better word, a uh, uh, toxic waste ponds. And I think they were using bacteria or something to, you know, microbes to, to eat up some of the bad stuff. But uh, those, those ponds have been completely overtopped and all those toxins are heading downstream towards everybody else in Michigan. I, I just don't understand why we're still dilly-dallying around with these jokers. So then... And if, if the coal ash pond, and if the coal ash pond uh, uh, floods into the Delta, it's going to make BP look like nothing. Paul, if we had a damn failure at Claiborne, that, it wouldn't only be in the Delta. This shit would be... Dixie Bar would be black. I mean, it would, it would go... Yeah. It, you know, the mouth of Mobile Bay would be dead and everything on down from it. So uh, then we have, and at the same time, at the same, at the same time that this is as controversial as it is, we have our state legislators trying to steal twenty million dollars to build a state house. Two hundred million. Two hundred million. Pardon me. Two hundred million. So then there's the the two billion dollar toll bridge that uh, untold millions were given to these three companies to come up with a plan. You know, they didn't, they didn't come up with a proposal out of their own pocket. They got paid to come up with a proposal. Then you have, they got paid to bid. Instead of Fairhope taking care of the damn infrastructure, they go by 2.6. Tell me how much it was, Paul, on the wreck land. It was 2.65 million dollars in wreck land. And what it did to the financial stability of Fairhope is before the purchase of the wreck land, they had approximately, uh, well, beforehand, they had like about a $1.7 million, no, $1.2 million surplus. Okay, after the purchase, it cost them, they are now in a deficit of $1.7 million and desperately, desperately need the money, and all they have is a vacant pasture. All right, so let's talk about this real quick. A lot of people might not know this. Um, you know how the federal government right now is running a tremendous deficit. Um, 
they just issued another three trillion dollars worth of debt for the CARES Act. The Democrats trying yet. to get them to do Not the yet. three, and um, and so the federal government can run a deficit as long as it wants to. It makes all the rules. The Constitution makes the money. The Constitution of the state of Alabama says the state of Alabama must pass a balanced budget and any subdivision thereof. So every single municipality and every single county is going to have to balance their budget comes October 1st. And I don't know how in the world Fairhope's going to do it. They're going to have to agree to see when, when the state sues you like this over sewer, they dictate what the terms are going to be of any kind of settlement. So Fairhope's going to have to come out of pocket big time right. to, to satisfy the state of Alabama that they're not going to continue to pollute Mobile Bay with their, with their spills. And then the last project, and I know this is one of your favorites, um, the, the project where, uh, and you know, like I said, Hames Snedeker can do whatever he wants to. He's a, he, he he's, a, he, he's in, uh, has a perfectly legal business. Um, but you know, Paul, I know you had a lot of heartburn about the fact that he was the municipal judge. And while the municipal judge has nothing at all to do with a plan being approved, a lot of people don't know that. And it's the appearance of impropriety, which is a, canon of judicial ethics that that absolutely and uh the that that has now made the municipal judge the largest developer in the city that he was appointed to in his position as municipal judge and that's another reason why uh the citizens of fairhope need to throw this council out because the municipal judge and the municipal attorney both are appointed by the council so you get rid of the council, you get rid of them. Uh, let me go back to one other thing too, Harry, on ADEM. Um, you know, let's go back four or five years. We we registered complaints with ADEM over the public's project uh, time and time again. They flooded Fly Creek. They polluted the creek. We couldn't get, we sent them pictures. We sent them uh, DNA of the creek all kind of stuff. We couldn't get Adam to do anything. A lot of people re refer to Adam as the Alabama Department of Environmental Maniacs. And so now all of a sudden they're down here going to sue Fairhope over the sewer. And then let's pick out one city, one city in all of the county, 14 municipalities, one city that's doing the most with the sewer. Fairhope. Well, they are now. So, the, no, they have been for the last, ever since she got in office. That was her platform. She started on it. She would have, the mayor would have been far, far, far more ahead on the sewer infrastructure if she did not have to just go to battle with the Catalyst Council over and over again. And they just held it up until finally the money was there. The projects were there. Everything was approved. And then finally she got the council to approve to some of it. You can't drive around Fairhope right now and not see and uh, the sewer projects that are going on. All right. So I want to switch gears and talk about one of our new heroes added to the list of Dr. Lee Wen Lang, who was the whistleblower in China, subsequently potentially murdered by <laughs> the uh, powers that be over there. 
Um, uh, Jack Wilson, director of security, Church of Christ, Texas. Um, Captain Brett Crozier, former commander of the USS Roosevelt. Um, city Commissioner Omari Harris. And now Dr. Rick Bright. Did you see Dr. Bright's testimony in front of the uh, Congress? I did. I and did. Did he come off as a disgruntled employee or did he come off as somebody who was really upset about the apathy that he was seeing all around him? Correct. And it also, it also impressed me that Mr. Bright's first and only consideration was human life. Yeah. We could use a little bit more of that. Don't you think? Yeah. So Rick Bright, Good for you, dude. Keep it up. And don't let them force you out. Go take that pit. You know, if you're at Ice Station Zebra or wherever the hell they assign you, you can't do anything if you're not there. You can't make a change if you're not still in the administration. And now you got a little bit of armor as far as I'm concerned. So, Paul? Well, one of the things that's very, 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 uh huh? Keep going. No, I said one of the things that's very uh, unsettling at this time is uh, uh, President Trump alluding to the fact that he may just discontinue any participation with the World Health Organization. And, you know, you can have whatever opinion you have, but the World Health Organization is exactly that, the World Health Organization. And they look for, they look, at the United States for leadership, not to withdraw and not do anything. So uh, I'm praying the president uh, will reconsider that and uh, not move forward by blaming the, the World Health Organization and trying to take money away from their funding. Well, the, ahead, the jury's still out with me on the WHO. Sorry, they, they, they did a piss poor job of alertness. Uh, I've, I, I hate to agree with Trump on a point, but I, I don't know about defunding. Well, you can, you can improve. You can improve on that, Harry, but you don't disband it or get out. That's that's not that is not practical. That's not smart. That's not healthy. I, I, uh, the I, World I, Health Organization. Look, there needs to be a Senate Select Commission on the WHO, not the president just pulling the plug. Okay. Right. Right, right, right. So uh, this is, you remember me talking about the crack key uh, hydroponic method? Right. Some bitch works. Check it out. I know. Somebody told me they saw a pot plant at your house 14 feet tall. I bet they did. <laughs> right right here in the dining room, I'm sure. No, all this stuff. Yeah. So this is a tomato plant. This thing's huge. And uh, I think this is cucumber. It's going up and over the rail now, zucchini. And that is one, uh, I think that's a uh, cantaloupe. But it's all coming. Now, how many weeks is that? Oh, I don't know. It's a month, I guess. I mean, these things jumped up like crazy. Wow. And this thing's running all over the place. You can't. Yeah, I know. I saw one out there. So uh, anyway, I'm impressed with it. I'm happy with it. I, I'm, I'm glad I didn't blow it. Uh, I, I'm glad I, I gave it a whirl. 
and wanted to let everybody know yeah. it's not total BS. So uh, anyway, I'm I'm kind of winding down, Paul. Um, anything else you want to run over? I got I got one other. Yeah, I got one other thing that uh, you know people might be interested in uh, a podcast by uh, Ralph Nader. Uh, Ralph Nader is the uh, consumer advocate that goes back woo, to the '60s, I think, and um, he had an interview with uh, Don Siegelman, and it was very, very enlightening. And one of the things that the uh, our former, you know, Mr. Siegelman was Secretary of State. He also was Lieutenant Governor, and he was also Governor. He's the only and then held all constitutional offices in the state of Alabama. Correct. And then in, uh, I think that was 02, uh, at the very last moment, 6,000 votes came up from uh, a South Alabama county, guess where, no other than Baldwin County. And uh, that is one of the first obvious uh, uh, corruption that we've seen with the elections. The Baldwin County, Baldwin County has a horrible, horrible reputation with fixing, adjusting, or manipulating elections, be it by qualification or whatever, knocking somebody out because they're not quote unquote Republican enough. Uh, but um, I don't know what it's going to take for people of Baldwin County to open their eyes, but this, this thing with uh, Fairhope and the McSherry case, uh, that should just about make every damn woman that ever heard anything get pissed off about. I mean, because uh, I've never, I've never seen women treated in public the way that they are here, especially by a city council. All right, so let me uh, let me let me talk about something real quick. Uh, something friendly? Not really. So there, there's a new, there's a new set of documentaries on uh, Netflix, and they're called Trial by yeah. Media. Have you watched any of them yet? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The I watched the King Richard. You're right. The one about about Richard Scrooge. So Trial by Media. So so when uh so so I listened to the Ralph Nader podcast where he had Don Siegelman on. And I just recently, uh, and anybody that follows us, we share a lot of Kyle, Kyle Whitmire's uh, articles. He's a writer for uh, AL.com, and he is actually in the documentary. So so what the documentary takes you through is that Richard Scrooge was the CEO of HealthSouth, and this is all during the time of the WorldCom collapse and all this corporate, uh, what's a good way to say it, impropriety. And um, Scrooge was tried several times in federal court, and they never could convict him. He, if you go watch the documentary, it does a good job of outlining um, how he used the media. And um, I mean, he would he had like uh, church choirs singing on the courthouse steps as he's going into the courthouse at one point. So, so anyway, they couldn't convict Scrooge fair and square. And Carl Rove comes down with some other operatives, and of course they they see Don Siegelman as a threat potentially as a vice presidential candidate. You know who knows who knows where he was going, but at the he was time, Democrat. But at the time, and of course he's a Democrat. But at the time, he was working to try to pass a state lottery, and his 
the premise was we were going to do exactly what Georgia did. Every single dime was going to go towards scholarships based on ability. And, you know, regardless of your financial position, if you had the grades, we were going to pay for you to go to college in Alabama. And that's what it was going to be useful. At the time, Richard Scrucci had served two prior governors, um, both of them Republicans, on the state health hospital board. And there, anyway, if you want to build a new hospital, you have to go to that board, fill out a certificate of need, and they determine based on uh, the market whether or not you can build it there. So anyway, uh, Siegelman asked him to stay on even though he was a Republican. He did have a lot of respect in the state and was obviously the most successful businessman in the healthcare industry in Alabama. I mean, he's, he's, his company's trading on, uh, what Paul, not New York stock exchange. Dow, wasn't it? Yeah. Can't remember if it was a Dow or not, but anyway, um, so they couldn't get him fair and square. So here's what they came up with. They said, Don Siegelman offered him a seat on the board, a reappointment to the board. And in return, Scrooge gave a million dollars to the to the lottery fund, not to Don Siegelman, but to the lottery fund. And that was the quid pro quo that landed this man in federal prison for seven years. Seven years. Almost unbelievable if it didn't really happen. Well, it happened in Alabama. And those of you that uh, would like to read a couple of short books about it. Uh, they were written by Dr. Uh, Chris Warner. Uh, one's a wagon to disaster. This is about Scrooge and the health South uh, wagon to disaster. And then the uh, other one, which I really enjoyed, which is a novel is uh, professional bone. Both of those were related to the uh, health South. And Harry, that's about going to wipe me out on anything, buddy. Me too. We've been going for an hour and a half. I hope people hang in there with us. Um, Paul, I hope you have. That's about the longest one. Yeah, that's, that's about all we can do. All right, pal. We'll hang in there, and um, I will see you soon. Yeah, let me know when this is up, Harry. I'll put it on Freaky Friday. Will do, sir. Thank you.